0: You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Bible 2020, with Fiona Stewart, Jen Robertson, and Neil Glover.
1: Thank
0: you very much. Well, welcome to The Outspoken Bible episode 16 I think. This is our 16th time of talking and we've still got words to say so that's good. Uh, I'm Fiona Stewart and once again I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Today we're going to be talking about the book of life which is our current section in Bible 2020. Neil how how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right thanks Uh, Fiona nice to see you and hear from you. Uh, I think my one of the things in my life at the moment is I foolishly signed up to do a or a kilt walk thing, Except kilt walk's different uh-huh. this year, uh, for Christians Against Poverty. And a, someone conned me on a church Zoom call into doing a paddleboard of the length of Loch Tay. Not the breadth, the length. Wow. 16 miles. I'm currently just started training. I'm going to try and do it in two weeks' time, and I'm a bit scared.
0: Stand-up paddleboarding?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, that's the, that's the sport of the moment, isn't it? A it is not it A lot of people up.
1: It's a bit on trend, which makes me wary of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you've probably you probably got more experience than most people doing it. Now there is a swim you can do the length of Loch Did you know that?
1: The length.
0: Yeah, I can't. It was called something like the Loctay swimmer. I can't. I can't remember the details. But there's a there's a, a world swimming event you can do where you swim the length of. of- wow. Lochte, yeah. I mean, it
1: takes hours to drive the length of Lochte. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Swimming it, imagine swimming it. I think, well, I think it's a twenty four hour event or something. I, 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 I feel I'm speaking with great authority on something that I, it's on the edge of my knowledge, but yeah. You are the go to
1: person when it comes to wild swimming, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Well, I know I have, I have sort of become that slightly by by mistake, just because I like doing it. People keep messaging me and asking me where to buy wetsuits and things. The internet is what I see anyway. So, welcome, Jen. How are you?
2: I'm doing okay Fiona, trying to work out uh, everyday changes, what we're going to do, what we can't do. Hopefully going on holiday at the weekend which will be good.
0: Great, great. Have you got some good
2: books to take away with you? Oh well I'm definitely going to read uh, Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship because I've just read his biography.
0: Brilliant. One of his biographies. That's a, well, that's a lovely segue, actually, isn't it? Because we're gonna this this topic is thinking particularly about the Bible, what the Bible has to say about itself, um, thinking about this idea that it is a, a living book. Um, and we thought we'd start just with a few ideas and resources that people can connect with, things that people can read, things that people can look at that, that will help them delve into this a little bit more deeply. Now we have we have talked about resources before and uh people who have listened to the 15 previous podcasts will be familiar with some of those but Jen you have been reading Bonhoeffer or about Bonhoeffer do you want do you want to kick us off by telling us a bit about that
1: yeah
2: I mean I've read a bit about Bonhoeffer before and heard about him in sermons and Neil often references him in our podcast um and my first introduction to him was Bonhoeffer as youth worker which is by Andy Root which I would really recommend if because it's a part of Bonhoeffer's life that maybe isn't talked about very much, and his whole pastoral care of young people. And I suppose reading the bigger biography of his whole life, the thing that really struck me from his use of the Bible, if we could use that phrase, is that it wasn't, he was very firm and it wasn't a set of rules that you followed. And, and that would just give you a prescription for going through life and the decisions you would make. And if you did that, then everything would be okay. But rather, it was a a living, dynamic, daily relationship with the Bible, and by absorbing it, and reading it, and talking about it, and exploring it, and questioning it and doubting it, you then were you then were able. And he showed this in his life to, to such a huge extent. Make decisions. Uh, relevant to the context that you found yourself in as to what god wanted you to do
0: uh, and so just for people jen who've not come across Dietrich Bonhoeffer before could you give us just a just a kind of couple of sentences about (laughs) his context because it is quite particular isn't it quite pertinent
2: he was a pastor in germany he was a theologian who found himself living as a pastor and a theologian as the third reich came to power in nazi germany he wrote a wee book about living in community together. And so he spent a lot of those years in the 30s of, of working with students, theological students, helping them to connect with God within community. And so he found himself, as his life went on, having to make huge decisions about how he responded as a Christian eh, to, to the Nazis. And he ended up being, eh, being murdered by them at very near the end of the war because of his stance.
1: That was a superb synopsis, there, Jen. Well done. That's probably the hardest question Fiona's ever asked us.
0: <laughs> and so, Jen, what would you be? Would be your suggested entry point for people if they if they haven't come across well, I, them
2: before? I think if you if you're like me and you've been involved in youth ministry for any part of your life, a short part or a big part, is to read Andy Root's book. Bonhoeffer as 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 youth minister and uh, lead, Jen. I went when I went to Berlin about five years ago. I was struck by various things that are engaged with there, like museums, etc, where often awful regimes can rise subtly. you know, I mean, you know I, people in the early thirties and that that's in the book about Bonhoeffer as well, they, they didn't realize the severity of things that were going to become as we don't. We don't know how history will pan out. And when I was in Berlin, I was struck by that, and that just reading the book again just confirmed me of that, and the need to be alert as to what it means to be a person of god in this whatever the situation we find ourselves in and not just to accept what what we read all over the place but to stop and consider what is being done and said
1: i think that gives us a really good end as well to think about the this the scriptures because one of the the big verses about how we understand and read the bible which is what our topic is today is first corinthians sorry not first corinthians second timothy 3:16 where it talks about all the bible is, is inspired and useful for teaching and correction and reproof and what's really interesting is that second timothy 2 chapter 3 sorry 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 talk about the whole community atmosphere Mm -hmm. in which the scriptures are read and that was something that Bonhoeffer massively emphasized and I think hopefully the spirit of this podcast is about that and hopefully the spirit of Bible 2020 is about that it's about the reading the, the scriptures in community with other people and that community can also include people who have previously died, like Bonhoeffer himself, because we, he, in a sense, joins the community by reading his words. It involves a scholarship, involves a history of the church, and it also involves the perspective of those who are marginalised.
0: Um, I'd, I'd like us to come back to that actually later on, thinking about how we read the Bible in, in community, but if we if we can just kind of come back to other resources. Jen, you had another couple, I think uh, you were talking about, Matt Laidlaw? Yeah, there's a yeah, book by Matt Laidlaw called How We Read the Bible, quite simple.
2: Um, he's written it to help uh, youth workers help young people, and together engage with the Bible. But don't don't worry about reading it if you're not a youth worker, because it's really about changing our perspective of the Bible and um, understanding the context it's written in. And if if we feel we struggle sometimes to have conversations of the Bible, this is the book to read, um, mm. and it's very readable and practical for yourself and for other people. Uh, and then maybe a slightly heavier book, I suppose, is by Peter Enns. It's called "The Bible Tells Me So." Why defending scripture has made us unable to read it. I just found I found that incredibly helpful.
0: Great, and we will put links to all of that in in the show notes. I was just going to flag up um, Amy R. Ewing's book. I think I've talked about this before. Why trust the Bible? And I don't know if I've told this story before, but I had to read it because I was leading part of a course a few years ago, and it it just had been a long time actually since I had read any books about the Bible, rather than Bible study books or something that was that was looking at particular. Um, Books of the Bible, just very helpful, just very helpful to, to be reminded of of, of the, the evidence for the truth of Scripture and, and how it all fits together and how the whole story fits together and um, how it sits alongside other um uh religious texts and actually has has an authority that's different so yeah amy or yang's book uh, i would recommend and it it reminded me of sometimes going back like you said jen about reading for non-youth workers reading books about youth work Mm -hmm. sometimes approaching something from a a different point of view it can actually be quite helpful because we get into our own tracks don't we what we what we choose to read
1: Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation, as enduring as the earth you created. Your regulations remain true to this day, for everything serves your plans. If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I will never forget your commandments, for by them, you give me life.
0: I'd love to pick up on, on what you just talked about there uh, when you were talking about that Peter Ends book at the end um, about this idea of the Bible of having to defend the Bible. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think we fall into that trap quite easily?
1: I think one of the the views of the Bible is that when it was first formulated around about 200 years after the, the, the birth of Jesus. Um, from that point until about the year 1900, everybody absolutely believed every single word of it to be literally true, infallible. And it was only when a bunch of kind of modernist German critical scholars came along that s- and suddenly people started doubting it. It was only when geologists started saying um, that uh, the earth might m- be older than 6,000 years old when those things started happening, suddenly people in a kind of spirit of fear started going, oh, no, no, we maybe don't think it's quite as inspired as it used to be. Mm -hmm. That's, That's not the case. Mm-hmm. The case is that the the Bible has always been interpreted, a uh, liter- literally, but also an um, allegorically. The Bible has there have always been debates about which parts argue against which other parts. It's always been much fluid, and if you don't see that so much in the Christian tradition, which I think you do, go and look at the Jewish tradition, in which argument about scripture is absolutely built into the very DNA of of Judaism, uh, and. Ironically, the need to say that the Bible is, well, let's use the word inerrant, is actually a relatively recent belief. It probably comes out of the, the Princeton School of B.B. Um, Warfield and C.H. Uh, Hodge. Um, it may come out the Reformation. But this idea that you have to say every single word is inerrantly, factually true, is a very modern and, and relatively recent, and I would argue, imposition onto the Bible.
0: So actually, it's taking it's taking the cultural argument, isn't it, and, and interpreting the Bible itself in, in the light of that. On a total aside, I've been reading Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, and that's that's all about <laughs> the Tudors, and obviously that's linked in with Reformation and, and, and actually how the church is shaped. Um, and it's been fascinating because it's not that long ago, and it, and it makes me reflect on the fact that, you know, a lot of the, the, the kind of fermi, form, formant, form, fermenting, format.
1: Formative.
0: Formative. No, for, Formative. no. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, but that's that's not what I'm going after. Okay. <laughs> the turmoil is what I'm trying to say of of settling. Do you, you know, ferment? That's what. Thank you. I you were supposed to there. The ferment of all of that it actually actually comes out of the culture wanting to shape theology, doesn't it? Rather than the other way around, and it, and it makes me reflect on. We we haven't had the printed form of the word for all that long, really. In relative terms, we we have decided on things, um, maybe because culture has sh- has shaped that. Um, so it's helpful, isn't it? And I suppose when we can delve into that little bit, thinking about how the the Bible almost argues with itself.
1: Yeah.
0: Neil, yeah. you were talking to me about that before we before we started recording.
1: Yeah. So I I think the the way that I that I want to read the scripture, I think above all is through the the lens of Jesus and through the way that that Jesus reads the the Scripture. And and what Jesus does, right, from Matthew's Gospel, the the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus is an interpreter of Scripture. Now, in some senses, Jesus argues against the tradition. That doesn't quite happen in Matthew chapter 5. But I think what happens is in a living tradition, you keep adding to it. You don't erase the past. You don't get rid of the the parts that were before, but you add new bits which are in tension with some of the bits that have gone before. And that's certainly what Jesus does. Now, in Matthew chapter five, he moves the understanding of the law into an internal understanding and and say it's not just about outwardly obeying the law, but inside, you know, there's no point just saying I didn't kill my brother, but inside are you angry with him? There's no point in saying I didn't didn't commit adultery, but inside is your, your heart inflamed with lust. But in other parts of the Bible, and I find this really powerful for me. For example, in in Mark chapter three, there is a situation where a man with a withered hand appears in the synagogue in a, on the Sabbath, and the 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 question is, is Jesus going to heal on the Sabbath? Now, I often used to think there's a way out of this by saying, oh, well, healing's not really work; it's different. Jesus doesn't take that approach. He says that. I want to use a verse to interpret the, the whole of the Scriptures, as it were. It's a verse from Hosea, which we know is one of Jesus' favourite verses, which is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he says, what is the merciful thing? What is the merciful interpretation of Scripture at this point? Not one which demands a sacrifice of this man, which on the scheme of things doesn't seem that massive, which has just come back tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. But on another level, he says, I need to use the Scriptures here and interpret them in a way that gives life. And he also asks a question about experience. Do you want to do harm on the Sabbath? Do you want to save life or do you want to kill? So Jesus is bringing in experience. He is bringing in a principle, which is mercy, not sacrifice. He's not doing away with the scriptures, but he's demanding that we interpret them in a way which points towards life. And I think that's what Jesus does. He says, take the scripture, but then interpret it within the framework of scripture itself, and I would argue within the framework of the life and teaching of Jesus.
2: I have a lovely, very practical Bonhoeffer story about that, <laughs> of, of <laughs> the, the command not to lie. And he told the story of the the girl in the classroom who was asked, I mean, maybe not a true story, is your father a drunkard? And she didn't tell the truth, because that also would have been disrespectful to her father. And so in that context, it wasn't the right thing to do to tell the exact truth. So it's it's taking Scripture, as you're saying, Neil, not this is what it says, I have to do it, but how does the the whole of Scripture and my understanding of it, how does it mean I should behave in this
1: situation? So she- Every time I hear Jen quote Bonfer, Bonhoeffer, <laughs> I have this image of C.S. Lewis turned green with him. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> Lewis is old news! <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, but the, all of that is making me. It's bringing me back to our orality conversation yeah. that we were having earlier in the year because because there's something there, isn't there? About and and these verses we, we read. So when you you know you look at Psalm 119, it's about a kind of absorbing the word into ourselves so that we will know how to live, isn't it? Rather than here here's the command directly, but that there's a sense of yeah. kind of having to having to digest it in order to know what to do.
1: Yeah, there's so. This comes again. I love the, the Psalm 119, which is the great Psalm of, of of the Word of God. And it's the Word which creates life. So people are meditating on the Word. They're they're absolutely invested in it. But there's a, a level on which it totally in, inspires them and speaks to them. Um, and there are just so many examples of that. But, but one which I came across recently was uh, to do with the apartheid struggle in uh, South Africa. And uh, people... I, I went to see a documentary about this. Oh, it was twenty years ago. It's a documentary called A Mandala, and it's part. It's a. It's a, It's about how the the apartheid movement was inspired by songs, and I was involved in a singing group which used to sing a lot of these songs. So songs like Freedom Is Coming, or People Might Know, and We Are Marching in the Light of God that comes from that uh, time. And I was expecting to hear lots of about those songs, but. Uh, didn't, not very much, and I didn't hear much about Cozy Sikilele Africa, which was a kind of pan-African anthem. What people talked about again and again was a song which I did know, but didn't know was that important, was called Sen Sen Zina, which is a song of lament. Um, and uh, Sen Sen Zina means, what have we done, and what is our guilt? And what I didn't know is that, that's actually a quote from scripture. I don't know, Does, it, does it, do you know where it comes from? I didn't know where it comes from. It's from 1 Samuel 20, verse 2, where uh, David has been persecuted by Saul and he turns to Jonathan, Saul's son, and says, what have I done? What is my guilt?
0: Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. But
1: if you're, if you're living in an oral culture where you, you, you are immersed in the scriptures, then suddenly verses like that are going to come to you and are going to speak to your own situation. And that becomes an incredibly powerful song in in South Africa. Um, when people have an oral culture, they immerse mm-hmm. themselves in the word and, and take it in all sorts of different places that, that people didn't expect it to go.
2: It kind of ties into the Nehemiah 8 um, mm-hmm. verse that we mm-hmm. read in these Bible 2020 readings that all the people were gathered and when they heard God's words, they all began to weep. And that, that really struck me because I, th- I feel there's a bit of an attitude around and I'm part of it uh, because I'm part of the culture too that, you know, God's words should comfort us and make us feel happy and give us peace and give us hope. But actually, hearing God's words will have lots of different effects on us, including that, that need to weep and a realisation that we've got it wrong.
0: Yeah, and the Nehemiah passage is interesting isn't it because you've got you've got that lament but you also have the the joy of the Lord is your strength it, mm. which is the, the kind of key verse in there isn't it and, the, and there's the sort of you know go and prepare a feast and and, and go and be joyful because the, it's caused the lament but actually mm. that then leads to the place of, of celebration yeah. and, and, and joy which is interesting too isn't it
2: it brings life yeah,
0: yeah it and does I bring think, life
1: I think there are often great movements where people rediscover the scriptures. Again, you know, this is a great example with Ezra reading the 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 law, which many people would argue is the origin of contemporary Judaism. So that Ezra then leads to the Pharisees, which then leads to the Talmud, which mm. leads to, to Judaism as it's um, experienced uh, or as it's lived today. Um but there are other moments the Protestant Reformation was a was a return to, to Scripture and the essence of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I would argue yeah. that many uh, church planting movements often return to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and, and rediscover how the early Christians lived. Um, there's the Red Letter Christian movement, which is a, a, a call to return to the teachings of, of Jesus and to see both evangelism and social justice as, as being part of the same thing so i would argue that this idea that the scripture gives life if often if you look at revival movements or change movements in the church or it, it's people rediscovering the scriptures mm. the, the the slavery emancipation movement was often a rediscovery of exodus for example but all that goes on again and again
0: a voice said shout i asked what should i shout shout that people are like the grass their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. circle back to um, Red Letter Christians because I'm, I'm interested in that I, I, I think I have misunderstood maybe a little bit what that's about because I think that can come across as saying actually we only look at the words of Jesus and we disregard other parts of, of scripture, is that, is that what that's about?
1: Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a movement, it's associated with Tony Campolo isn't it in the States and Shane Claiborne and people like that who I think have argued that um, too, the Protestant church is too fixated on Paul uh, I, w- I want to circle back to Paul in a minute. Actually, mm-hmm. we need to reclaim Paul. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the emphasis has too much been on Paul, which is an individualistic, a spiritualized reading of the of the gospel, and that we need to understand a gospel which is about the kingdom of God. and Therefore, we need to go back to, to words of Jesus. So I think it's a call to, on in many Bibles, those those words of Jesus are written in red. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I also like going looking. By the way, on the side for all the red letter ones that aren't in the Gospels, there are occasional quotes of Jesus. Um, mm. there, there's a bit I think it's in Acts where Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, which uh, which is in the red, which is red in the red letter Bibles.
0: Interesting. That's interesting. Um, so let's let's circle back to Paul then. Yep. Have we misunderstood Paul?
1: Yeah, I, I I always go back to my great teacher of Paul, who's John Barclay. Um, and just a, a beautiful interpreter of, of Paul. And uh, he says, um, remember he said to us, um, you may like Paul or you may dislike Paul, but do not tame Paul. And and Paul is this, this radical... Understanding of the incongruous grace of God. And, and John Barclay movingly writes and says that, that Paul's life was was difficult, um, that often he was depressed, often his he, he was perplexed as to how his friends had let him down. Um, his life was not triumphant or serene, but he understood and he had come to see his life as a reflection of the suffering and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his his gospel was about the, the embodiment and the living of that life and love that that view of paul. it
0: really unlocks something that doesn't it because mm. it, it it flies completely counter to to that that kind of uh, you, you do sometimes have a an impression of paul i think that is that comes through maybe just teaching that's not quite right That he, that he is this kind of arrogant figure almost wanting to better jesus you know no
2: no you have to read the whole of paul i mean i read a, a wee book by a, a female theologian she's ham she's a theologian why do i have to say that she's a female um and she I actually have a PhD on some of Paul's letters particularly around what he says about women um and she reflects on some of the really beautiful bits in Paul's letters where he expresses so much love and concern there's that beautiful bit when they go to the beach is it Ephesians and they go to the beach of the elders they're all, they're all crying and and all all everybody's there all generations and they're all crying cuz Paul's leaving i mean Yes, you, you it's
1: the Ephesian be, church. Yes, yeah, acting. Yeah.
2: You, you, you wouldn't be acting like that for a guy who was harsh uh-huh, and uh-huh. dogmatic, and uh-huh. you know there also was a real love for him, to him and from him. Interestingly, one of the things she says as well, and we could be good to chat about this, is that some of Paul's letters are are, are two sided. They are two sided conversations because they're letters, but we only read them
0: yeah.
2: as as his response, and so it therefore mm-hmm. makes it very very hard. To sometimes understand what Paul is really saying and I find that very helpful in some of the trickier bits of Paul's letters in particular. Mm-hmm.
1: What One of the things I think we have to understand with the, the scriptures is they're written in context, mm-hmm. they're, they're written in historical context and, and people are trying to work out what this, what does this mean and and they're prepared to wrestle with the, the scriptures to say, what does this mean in this context? One of the, the things that people don't talk about is that Paul only directly quotes Jesus twice. And in both times, he, he doesn't contradict him, but he slightly modifies what Jesus says, because that's what the context demands. So, on one point, he, he quotes um, Jesus. Um, he's talking about uh, paying, um, paying people uh, to be pastors. And Paul says, but actually we're, we're not going to be paid. Um, and another point, uh, he quotes Jesus saying you shan't get divorced, but he says in this context, if you're married to someone who's an unbeliever and they want to divorce, then, then you can go ahead. So he's, he's reinterpreting the, the tradition. Um, the other thing he does, I love this, it's a brilliant example about how to use the scriptures. Um, he um, He's taught, once again, this issue about should Paul be paid or not? And uh, he quotes um uh, Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 I think it is, where uh, it says, you shall not muzzle an ox. And uh, Paul says, is Paul, is God talking about oxen at this point? It's a rhetorical question. and He's obviously trying to get us to say, no Paul, of course he's not talking about oxen. Uh, he's only talking about, and then Paul says in the next verse, um, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 10, he says, um, isn't he only exclusively talking about us? And then he, he goes on to talk about how um, pastors are entitled to be paid. So he's saying, not only is he arguing for an allegorical interpretation, he's actually arguing that the literal one shouldn't be paid any attention to. <laughs> uh, but then in the spirit of Paul, I want to go, Paul, I actually disagree with you on this point. And I think God is interested in oxen. And mm-hmm. what I think I'm doing is sitting in the tradition of Paul of, of reading and reinterpreting and, and yes, sometimes even arguing.
0: And well, and also sitting in the in the in the tradition of Jesus, yes. because you mentioned the Sermon on the Mount earlier, and and, and Jesus teaching on divorce, Jesus teaching on, on murder, and so on. He he was taking Scripture and he was he was wrestling with it and and speaking truth into it, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's wrestling with it. He's reapplying it, and and sometimes in the case of Sabbath laws, or in the case of some of the the, the blood laws, or certainly in the case of the food laws, he's actually arguing against them. Uh, those traditions. And it's all very well to have some kind of argument that says, well, he he got rid of the ceremonial law, but he kept the moral law. But it's not as simple as that. Um, The moral Mm -hmm. law on divorce, for example, he set set aside and said it was wrongly intentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, he often made it strict, but when it came to dealing with outsiders, people not from Israel, he he was much more embracing and hospitable about how that yeah. law was to be applied.
0: Can, can I throw in the question about which which struck me as I was reading these passages, which is about how we define things? So so we talk about Jesus being the Word of God, mm. so the Word became flesh and developed among us. We, we we talk about the Bible often as God's Word, so the the book is God's Word. We talk about the words of Jesus. So we've already talked about you know red letter words of the words Jesus spoke we, we talk about can we get can we get somewhere with what that's all about is it is it about having a Trinitarian understanding is it about having a a sort of living organic understanding of of what the word is
1: yeah I think I mean I I think ultimately and I'm borrowing. Tom right here, I think it means the expressiveness of God, that God expresses God's self and causes life to happen, and that that expressiveness is actually embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's where John's Gospel is going. And then that can mean different things in different places. So uh, sometimes the word of God seems to be referring to God's law. That seems to be what's going on in Psalm 119. Other points, the word of the God seems to be talking about the prophetic word of God. So that's maybe where Isaiah's coming from, where he talks about the word will not... Um, uh, what is it he says in Isaiah 55? Uh, my word will not be without fruit. Return
0: to be empty. Yeah,
1: return to be empty. And... Yeah. Uh, In Acts, it seems to be used to mean that the early Christian message about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where it talks about the apostles suffering for the word of God. Um, So I I think it ultimately means expressiveness of God. Sometimes it means the scriptures, but it doesn't always. And it finds its fullest expression in Jesus Christ.
2: It's often misused, though, I think. Mm. The word word of God is used often as when we should just say the Bible. And, and it's back to this thing of, of defending the Bible. It's The phrase can be used as a sort, but it's the word of God. So you can't challenge it or you can't ask or you can't express a doubt. It's kind yeah. of used as a kind of, um, like that's the end of this conversation because this is the word of God. Full stop.
1: Yeah, I've, I, I've found that very unhelpful. I've times. got a rule in Christian meetings. If someone starts quoting scriptures to make their point, um, I don't want... I think they might be wrong uh, because uh, I think sometimes that gets as exactly as Jen says it gets wheeled in uh, to, yeah. to justify arguments. I think if you can, if you can't justify your argument other than by finding a scripture verse, because I'll be able to find another scripture verse that supports mm-hmm. my argument, then mm-hmm. if you can't if you if you're doing that, then you're you're probably using desperate measures uh, to get your own way. So I think it's misused. The other way I think it's misused, Jen and you were alluding to this is. Um, do we listen to the word? It's it's that kind of way of speaking mm-hmm. where it's it's almost yeah. a tribal belonging thing where mm-hmm. I belong to a certain group of Christians who take who take it seriously, and I, I think that's a misuse of the scripture.
0: Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I was actually thinking about the fact that, that all of what we've just um, talked about has brought us back to what you were talking about at the very beginning in terms of a polarized view so so I think sometimes that that very kind of strident belonging to a particular club who believe in a particular thing it it does play into this polarization that we see I wonder if there's something about reading the bible in community um that that fights against that polarization and and very practically how do how do we do that how do we read bible in community generally but how do we do it particularly in the in the moment that we find ourselves in I, I
2: just feel I feel very privileged to be as part of this podcast mm. because in many ways it's exactly what <laughs> I would long for all of us to be able to do. And I know for many people, they don't have groups of people that they can just have a conversation with the Bible about, but we really do need that. And maybe if your church doesn't have that kind of group, you need to start it and mm. it, it could be it could be done in different ways but Obviously, we maybe can't meet physically together or we could just be reading the same thing and then have a WhatsApp chat about it but I, th- I think we need and then we also need to be reading other people's when there's so you know you just listen uh, to Neil and Fiona and uh, the amount of stuff that's out there to read you know even if you're not a reader listen to the audiobook or listen to podcasts we need other people's mm-hmm. input into those conversations. Mm-hmm. um and people we know who who have been going with god for a long time and people who are just new on the journey we, we need to come together and have these conversations <laughs> no I, I went with a, a walk with a friend on saturday who, who is a quite a bit younger than me in fact goodness he's three decades younger than me um and i won't mention his name because i haven't asked him if i can but he was expressing in various ways that need particular. And maybe it's very particular for the culture that he finds himself in, um, being so much younger than me, that he he feels that as a a Christian and someone who reads the Bible, people just write him off Mm -hmm. as, as believing certain things because there is Mm -hmm. a lack of nuance. And so he, he needs that community where he can not prepare himself to go and fight against the, the worldly opinion, but prepare himself to be able to have conversations with people about why he believes what he does and and how the Bible is still relevant today.
1: I, I'm I'm thinking about you know our group because I do agree. I, I I love our our group of being able to talk, and I think one of it is that we all respect that we take the Bible really seriously. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've we've committed ourselves to do, it and we want to understand it, and that we believe that God speaks to us through the Bible, um, that it is inspired. We also are prepared to be honest about our reaction to the Bible um we're, we we're prepared to say things that we think were maybe not what maybe meant to say because that that that's being honest about it mm-hmm. and that we don't drum each other out for being heretics because of that um, and and that we hear new things so we, we bring in our contexts, mm-hmm. So Janet, you know, I'm always intrigued as you know, you work with young people. How how does that context inform what you do? If you know you work in the world of culture and the arts, how does that inform what you do? And for me as someone who has a degree in theology, I think it's really important um to to listen to people who take theology really seriously but haven't had a mm-hmm. formal education mm-hmm. in it.
2: The Luke chapter eight verse verses that we've read, and we did mm-hmm. talk about this beforehand, but um it's it's the it's a parable of the sower, and when I read it this time it struck me in a completely different way I suppose it have always said it but you know it feels like oh well all the, all the ground that this the seed fell on was just rubbish and it didn't work but this ground at the end was amazing and it was fantastic and then but I read it again and it says um, Jesus says the, the good soil is those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and by persevering produce a crop So, it's not that the soil is just kind of lying there being a good soil. To be a good soil requires effort and thought and discussion um, and analysis and, and you know, living. Being a person of faith is a paradox, isn't it? You know, it Mm. doesn't connect with our lived experience often. Um, And I I was just, I just find it so encouraging. I'm sure that 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 was God speaking to me through that parable of the sower in a new way this is what good soil is it's not just people have got it right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. people who give everything to hear god through the bible
1: so jen just to push on i think i might have misheard you, you said the, the the life of faith is a paradox and then you said i thought you said it doesn't connect with the life of faith. well often
2: it doesn't there's things that it clashes doesn't it to
1: yeah, or what you think yeah. is the life of you? Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yeah. You meet reality, and you go, "What's going yes. on here? There, that doesn't tally yeah, yeah, yeah. with my
2: suffering and pain." And-
1: yeah, <laughs> questions, or, or even what does it? What does the good thing mean here? You know, Bonhoeffer again. You know, who finally mm-hmm. a pass was he a pacifist? I can't remember, but he certainly reached the point that he had to be involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. Yeah, I mean, the, mm-hmm. how he got there was a journey through all sorts of complex questions.
0: Well, I think we've reached a, a, a bit of a, a natural end point. We've circled back to Bonhoeffer, who seems to have been the sponsor of this podcast. He's the man episode. of the moment. He's the man of the moment. Well, maybe he is the man of the moment. That's let's just leave that in the air for people to to think a little bit further about. And um, thank you both very much once again. I suppose I suppose to finish. Uh, the question is always, you know, what are you going to take away from the discussion? What what is your key learning point?
2: I, I want to work harder with the Bible. And I think I probably have a bit over my life so far, but there's far more I could do. There's far more reading I could do, far more conversations I could have. Mm. I mean, there was a sorry back to Bonhoeffer. I need to mention him again. But <laughs> apparently, eh, when he was first in prison, like the year before he was executed, he had six months in the first prison he was put in, and he read the Old Testament eh, twice through, and a half. Now. I'm probably not going to do that because it's it's not about following other people's patterns, and I'm not in mm-hmm. a prison. But putting in the effort, I think for me is, mm-hmm. and and how how worthwhile that
1: is to hear God speak. Neil, I think it's about that immersion thing. I'm struck by so many communities where they engage seriously with the Bible, whether it's folks in South Africa, um, folks in the American South, uh, the, the the work that you do. Gen with, with folks and engaging in the Bible, it's that that immersion. Uh, you know, even we haven't quite talked about this, but um, Paul is Paul writes to Gentile communities, letters to churches which he's which he's only been in for maybe some of them only three or four weeks, but but some of them up to two years. But it's, it's not huge amounts of time. And yet, those letters are full of Old Testament allusions. Like the, the amount of time he must have spent mm. in the scriptures with them, um, and it just makes me think how much time do we spend engaged, immersed mm. in the scriptures? Because in a sense, if you're going to breathe the Bible, if you're going to, if it's going to be the something like the clay which is molded around you, then you first of all have to have the clay to begin with. You have to be immersed, immersing yourself in it.
0: Well, my, my challenge is around um, something that's related to my profession and something I really struggle with, which is learning things. <laughs> <laughs> For somebody who spends a lot of time learning lines, I find it really hard to uh, memorize stuff. So I, I've just been quite challenged again about, about that idea of, of tasting, tasting the word like honey, so, mm. so actually eating it and consuming it. So, so that I guess, like you, Jen, it's a bit of um, work on my part, but to, to, to look at memorization again and think about how to do that. 'Cause I always encourage children to do that when they come to drama camps and things. You mm. kinda of say, Well, if you're you know, if you think you want to be a performer, learning lines is part of it. So why why should it be so hard to learn a chapter of the Bible? It shouldn't be. We? Well, listen, thank you very much. We we have definitely run out of time. Poor old Alistair has got to edit this down and take out all our um <laughs> Heresies. moments of hilarity today and heresies so uh, we'll i think we'll stop at that point thank you both very much again and uh, look forward to speaking to you next time next time we're going to be talking about the mission of god mission to the world is the title of the next section of readings thinking about the whole of god's mission right back from noah abraham and uh, david right through to jesus and that ongoing mission that goes on into into the church so Brilliant. yet more to discover the next time